Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing? I'm doing well. The, uh, I'm uh, an assistant coach on a minor hockey team and this year, and we won our first. It's our second game. We tied the first one. We won tonight, so that's always exciting. Nice to get the win. I'm getting. I'm getting. I'm getting an echo. Is are your headphones plugged all the way in? Yeah, yeah, they are. Can you still? Can you hear me okay now? I can hear you fine. I'm hearing an echo on myself, and it just went away. So obviously something just clicked. All right. Oh, well, that's good. That is good. All <laughs> right. So not only did uh, the minor ho- uh, my minor hockey team win the Oilers lost so that's a <laughs> the ne- negative segue one nothing although they got the loser point oh the always important loser point on a zero zero tie game zero zero tie that's game fun. yeah oh. the Batman point but um Bruce it was um you know they were slightly outplayed by the Jets at least when we go by grade eight chances it was yep. 11 for the Jets eight for the Oilers um not exactly an offensive outburst for Edmonton. Uh, they were bottled up most of the game and unable to get those kinds of shots on net. Um, this is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast. Let's start with your good thing. Well, I guess the one point is a good thing. Uh, I, the Oilers just didn't have it going tonight. They weren't clicking on uh, offensively really at all. Uh, the big guns were... Were stifled. They were. Uh, they weren't finding one another. That was. Uh, I've never seen a game. I think where Leon and Connor had less chemistry with each other. They just weren't finding each other with passes and stuff. And uh, the rest of the team can't score. And you know it came came to bite them tonight. I mean they they uh, uh, technically they outshot the Jets 28-23, but uh, ten of the shots came from the blue line. And hardly any were, you know, dangerous chances. They only had one dangerous scoring chance in the first two periods. So to get some good goaltending from Mike Smith and to uh, uh, get some crafty coaching, a good call from the bench. You know, when Winnipeg scored on the offside challenge, I said to my wife, well, they might as well go for the call because I don't think they're ever going to score. So (laughs) they better nip nip (laughs) this one in the bud. And it worked out all right. But uh, so... That's my my good thing. I I I must say I di- I didn't really have rose colored glasses watching this game. I found it very frustrating to watch. Well, one point is a very very good. Yeah. Oh, you take and, one point uh, on the road. And the the funny thing about clicking is watching that overtime, Bruce. They were so there were so many moments in that overtime where they were one kind of bounce or bobble away from having a complete. Like they did get the one breakaway where McDavid was slashed. Like, why was that not a penalty anyway? But there was all kinds of other um, moments in the overtime where they were so close, so close to just having that moment where they were going to get the, that great chance where McDavid or Dreisaitl. And there was, of course, the, the two one-timers, were, which were a, a bit unfortunate in the McDavid was taking a Dreisaitl pass instead of Dreisaitl oh, taking a McDavid pass. That's what you want. So, But there wasn't even time there for Dreisaitl to put it over to McDavid, right? Like, those plays didn't develop where he could, that was even a choice, I don't think. They were fairly quickly developing. So there was, 
The overtime was frustrating. They were just so close to winning. I would have liked to have seen our 50-goal man shoot on at least one of those two-on-ones because they gave him the slot because they played him to pass and he telegraphed pass all the way both times and neither one worked. Aggravating. Uh, and then uh, McDavid missed Drysaddle with what would have been a breakaway pass and then Drysaddle missed McDavid with what would have been a breakaway pass. Normally they make those kind of passes in their sleep. And finally, Leon did hit with actually a spectacularly good Wasn't that a pass? Long, long backhand saucer pass and McDavid went. But I don't know, I guess, is he out of gas or what? Like, like he got like Wheeler almost caught from behind on a breakaway. He, like, you just don't expect that. So... Well, anyway, Wheeler, I guess after 25 minutes of ice time, maybe. But Wheeler, Wheeler might have been um, McDavid might have had to hold up a little bit, hold up in his stride. I couldn't really tell to get the pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Wheeler might have been just going all out. So there might have been a like a momentum difference in the like the moment we're catching up with the play. One player might have been moving quite a bit faster than the other. Did you think Wheeler slashed it? I mean. To me, that was a penalty. I was too busy watching the puck, David, but I'll go back and look at it. I do know I was a little aggravated at some of the calls and non-calls over the course of the game, like James Neal getting his stick broken in half uh, along the right-wing boards in uh, Winnipeg zone uh, that you could hear on the broadcast, and you could also hear Neal swearing at the ref when he didn't call it. And then about a minute later, in the exact same spot, same referee, they called an absolute chintzy holding the stick call on Drew Jarker. I mean, 0-0 in the third period. I mean, either call everything or call nothing at that point. And that, those two right in a row, same spot. Uh, you know, I thought I, w- I was a little annoyed at that moment. But uh, I have to say, I, I was watching the puck on the McDavid breakaway. And if he got, if he got hacked, oh, I'll have to watch the play again because... Uh, it was like a thing. So, Bruce, my good thing is I'm not usually a fan of the instant replay, <laughs> but it sure served the Oilers tonight. Like that, and I like the rule a lot better now that the it, it, it's not used indiscriminately. If you blow it, you uh, get a penalty. So, you have to be pretty sure that mm-hmm. you're going to get the call before you call it. And so that's it's used in the right way. That was an offside play. It was an offside where maybe that little extra. Uh, bit over the line helped them you know defense has to back off a bit more um it changes the play when someone's offside it was definitely offside there was no question about it uh the orders uh were it was a zero zero game a hugely significant moment in the game and uh so that was good i liked it well i like the, the i mean they they got it right from the bench or from the from upstairs so I heard Tippett in the post game crediting someone, but I didn't catch the name. But presumably the video coach, though on the road, it's not necessarily the same setup. But they said they were very confident on the bench that it was going to be called, and it was a was a at least clear enough one. It wasn't one of these sort of vague looking calls with a camera that's located, you know, on in the International Space Station, trying to make a <laughs> trying to trying to determine whether the guy's skate is on or off the ice, you know. Like those ones just drive me nuts and I hate the offside challenge rule on general principle and I still do. But I hate it less when they get it right. It's really aggravating when they get it wrong. The thing I hate about offside challenge is that you can challenge an offside, but you have no recourse against a, uh, an offside that gets blown down in error. So it only ever works to cancel goals and it never works to add offense. It only subtracts offense. So I think it's unbalanced. The rule is unbalanced. But tonight they made the right call and they, you know, and then the, and the, 
and the stripes made the right call too. And it was, you know, at least it was unambiguous. I, I would prefer that they ax it too. I don't think it's, um, I don't think you need that rule. I would just get rid of it. But then we'd be cursing about how the Jets beat us on an offside goal, right? Yeah, that'll happen now and then. They might not even done yeah, a replay. It's a they might human. even have replayed to. They might no one might even know, right? The game would have just, you know, there's no mm-hmm. no sense in going over it. Was it offside? Maybe they would have looked at it. Um. Anyway, I was fine with that. So, what's your bad thing, Bruce? My bad thing. Uh, there was a few things tonight, but I, I'm going to single out Jujar Kara for a brain cramp uh, on a line change or a non-line change. Uh, and this was a sequence in the first period where his line got trapped in their own end for about 40 or 45 seconds. And they finally got the puck out. And uh, they not only did they get it out, they got it deep. Eventually, they were able to chip it deep into uh, uh, Winnipeg territory. And the standard for line changes on, on those plays is two guys hustle their butts over to the bench. One guy stays on the ice, he chases a puck into the zone, and then he swoops back and he makes a change coming back up the ice. Well, Riley Shane was way ahead of the play, and he was the forechecker, and he did everything right. He swooped in, and he, and he turned, and he went back to, you know, he turned in the right direction so he could get to the bench on the way off. For whatever reason, Kara, at the end of a 50-second shift, or what should have been the end, follows Shane up the ice about 30 feet behind him, no man's land, follows him into the zone, and Shane comes back and makes a change. Well, by then, Kara's trapped out in the middle of the ice. And even though the bench is on his wing, and he literally, had, you know, from where he started, he only had to go a few feet to make the change. And as soon as the puck went over the blue line, he should have been hightailing it for the bench. So now the Nugent Hopkins uh, line is out there. And instead of James Neal, they have a, a gassed Jujar Kara playing a second consecutive 45-second shift because once again they got stuck in their own end and now they got a tired winger who can't clear the puck. And it's just unnecessary. Like, use your brain, man. You know, I mean, that's just discipline. And it's a rookie mistake. And I would be much more tolerant of a rookie mistake coming from an actual rookie. Inconceivable. You know, why did... (laughs) These are these are professionals. Yeah, exactly. these are, this is this is your only job. That's all you do. You play hockey. That's it. You know you know how long you've been out there. You, mm-hmm. Yes. They're telling you keep your shifts short, be fresh, change off when you get the chance, and you make a, a mental mistake like that. Like again, it's inconceivable, and that's and and he's he cannot. If he wants to stay in the NHL, he's he can't do that. I mean, it's the third line player, right? I mean, uh, a 45 second shift is the optimum that you want from those guys. Uh, and earlier, they actually had a long shift because they kept the puck in the Winnipeg end so long. To give that line some credit. But when you're stuck in your own end, where you're at the point where I, as a fan, am saying to my TV, get the puck out, get it in, get off, you know. Uh, and you got two guys going in on the four check after, you know. Just there's nothing to be gained. It's not like he's it's not like he's Leon Dreisaitl, and if he stays out for an extra thirty seconds, he might score a goal. Not going to happen. Yeah, I like it when the guy like you know when the puck gets deep and the um, when the puck gets deep and the guy chases in there, they don't, and then he he hustles off the ice. You expect mm-hmm. that? And that's the shit. That's, that's what, that's what Shane did. So 
sometimes they hustle in there though and then they come back up the wrong side of the ice oh. so they can't get off it that's another one that i don't like mm-hmm. uh so bruce my bad thing was and i don't really know it's 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 how much ice time dry and mcdavid got and like usually when they win i haven't complained about this all year and, I, and I, you know if if you win but i think we've had two kind of flat performances for mcdavid in a row and um, they're not his best performances, and Drysaddle certainly was a flat performance tonight. So it's yeah, like it looks like all that ice time was wearing them. So I'm not really blaming, you know, it's not their fault they're getting play, played that much, and they might be drained of energy. It, I guess the problem is a lack of, you know, other players that they feel confidence sending out there. What did Nugent, Nugent Hopkins played 21 29? So their top two centers are just playing a lot. You know, 21 29, that's usually what a center on. The first line center will play on a team. Of course, Nugent Hopkins was out for some PK time and power play time. But they don't have a lot of faith, obviously, in Shane or Granlund. And I mean, I, I, I was, everyone's clapping their hands about Haas getting sent out. I've really liked Gaetan Haas, actually. And I, I was hoping to see more of him. Now, they're the, I'm not going to say a lot about it because there's, the, you know, these are NHL coaches. They're seeing these players in practice and, picking up on stuff. But from what I saw, like, I don't know why they sent that guy down. I would have liked to see him play more. He seemed to be, he's the one guy, uh, the one center there who's got some real speed, uh, NHL plus speed, not just NHL average. He can really fly. And he seemed to always be doing, making good plays. And he's the only, Bruce, he's the only third or fourth line player who set up a goal, right? Uh, He set up Negard on that goal. So, I didn't like, I, I would have liked to see him playing in that game. I'd like to, you know, clearly they've got to figure out a way to get some more ice time um, for some of these other players because you, I don't think you can go a whole season, Bruce. Dreisaitl played 25-39, McDavid played 24-55. Can you, you can't go a whole season playing those guys 25 minutes a game, can you? Like, Well, Leon's played over 25 minutes now five different times already in nine games. Now, there was overtime, so, yeah, so, so that... Still. That boosts their number quite a bit. So. Hey, great to see Ethan Barron over time, by the way. Like mm-hmm. that was, I really like seeing that. And he, boy, is he ever, uh, why don't I just segue right now then to my number? Because that's, that's, uh, my number is 720,000. That's Ethan Bear's cap hit this year. <laughs> and Bruce, that is yeah. one of the bargain contracts this year in the entire NHL. And it's, you pointed this out in a number of posts over the summer. The Oilers didn't have any players in this kind of, um, lower contract um, demographic who were solid contributors. They didn't have any at all, I don't think, last year, if I'm not mistaken. And so here's someone coming in, and he, he's, he just looks fantastic, honestly. He's, he's so smart. He's effective. They, they have a top-line pairing right now who is getting the job done in Nurse and Bear. And um, the second pairing didn't look too shabby, I didn't think, either, Clefbaum and Russell. So... Um, Good for Ethan Bear and a huge bargain for the Oilers. Of course, the, the bad news is Bruce, he's in the final year of his ELC. Mm-hmm. So he will he's gonna have to get paid next year. And it's gonna be interesting to see how much he gets paid because yeah. the way he's playing, we're looking at a, I think it, the way he's playing right now, we're looking at at least an NHL average salary, uh, which is about three it's that's in the three million dollar low three million dollar range. And well, it's we'll hard see, to, yeah. If he keeps it up, let's... Yeah, that's a huge if. if. I mean, this is nine games in. If he keeps it up, it could be more than that, of course. Like, Mm -hmm. but, um, wow. 
talk about a change of fortunes in a in a short time for a player. Yeah, well, I mean, just him making the team and playing playing regularly is is a big uptick in his career. But for him to be playing uh, top four minutes, I mean, here's the ice time for tonight. This could be my number uh, for the defense core. Uh, Oscar Kleffbaum, 27.05. Darnell, Nur- Darnell Nurse, 26.23. Ethan Bear, 25.32. Chris Russell, 22.02. Uh, Matt Benning, 10.43. Brandon Manning, 10.07. Like the third pair was not quite an afterthought, but very much like there's a top four, and then there's two guys that they spotted in, and, and you know, they... Uh, I mean, Bear played almost ten minutes in the third period alone when they, you know, they really cut it, cut it down. So uh, he's a he's a monster uh, uh, in terms of munching the minutes. And when you talk about seven hundred twenty thousand dollars against twenty five minutes of ice time, I mean that's phenomenal. They really don't trust uh, Brandon Manning because because Benning was playing a lot more than that. But Bear's moved up and he's killing penalties now too. So oh. I think he's taken Benning's time there. I, I think um, I'd like to see. It'd be interesting to see a third pairing of William Loggison and Joel Pearson when Pearson gets healthy, and because uh, Loggison's in town, right? He's sitting in the stands right now. I mean, Brent, Brandon Manning, he gives us all. I give him that. Like he 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 battles hard, but um, I'd like to see. I I'd, I'd like to see Loggison and Benning uh, mm-hmm. next game, but and I I wouldn't mind seeing when Pearson's healthy. Put him on the third pairing because I think. Um, I think he needs like a couple games, three, four, five games of third pairing time to get acclimated to the NHL. Playing with Clefbaum is a huge ask. Chris Russell's getting it done there. Um, so that's... Yeah, Chris Russell is the worst option except for all of the others. Yeah. Funny Sean how that is... works out every year, right? Same thing. Yeah. Same thing as last year. Last year, it was by game three. He'd already been promoted to the second pair right side. This year it took until about game seven. And it took two injuries. Like the coach really did try to keep him down. But when two right shot defensemen go down, then your options are limited. And you've got, if you've got a versatile player, well, you're likely to use him. So, uh, anyway. It says a lot about their thoughts about Matt Benning, eh? like that he didn't get the, the bump up. Um mm-hmm. I guess they, then they would have had to. It would would have been difficult. They didn't have an obvious right shot defenseman to recall, um, other than Evan Bouchard, and they don't want to do that. So, so it's maybe it's not much of a comment on Ben. Um, possibly. Well, other, other than yeah, I mean he's he's locked into the third pairing when when he's playing ten minutes and the other two pairings are playing twenty five. I'd like to see. Uh, I'd like to see Benning play with a better puck mover too, Bruce, because. Uh, um, he needs to play with a better puck mover. He can't be the primary puck mover on his pairing, and and that's with Manning. That's what he's got to be. He Logason's probably. A, do you think he's a better puck moving than mover than than, than Manning? Than Benning. Oh, uh, I haven't seen enough of him to know. I expect he's better yeah. than Manning. I expect but. he's better than Manning too. And you can't put Pearson and uh, Benning together because they're both right shot guys. So. No. So my number from this game is two. Okay. And that is the number of shots on goal Winnipeg Jets had in 22 minutes that Darnell Nurse was on the ice five on five. The Oilers outshot the Jets 11 to two 
and it was similarly 11 to 3 with Ethan Bear on the ice for 21 minutes. Like, I, I, now the Jets did miss some gold-plated chances, especially in the first period. And because we don't count shots that are not on the net, I can't tell you without looking hard who was on the ice and who was responsible for those. But the fact remains, the Jets had two shots on net for uh, over a period of hockey that Darnell Nurse played tonight. And Nurse himself blocked four shots. His goalie only stopped blocked two. Uh, and uh, Darnell, he, I mean, he made one shot block that was just a, a godsend. Because the Oilers, this was the McDavid line, dry saddle. They were running around. Bear got ahead of the play, and two Jets got in behind, only Nurse behind. And some guy rifled a shot, Shifley, I think, from the slot. And and Bear made the or uh, Nurse made the hero shot block. That bailed him out. That was huge trouble. Like it's, it tasted like a goal was coming because they were just getting beat and they couldn't get out and they were running out of wind and. And uh, Nurse came up with that uh, that big play. He does come up with big plays, David. Some some folks see his flaws, and he does have them. Uh, but man, he he brings a lot of positives to the game too. Uh, oh yeah, and he again, he's someone like Benning who should play with a better puck mover than himself. He's now doing that with Ethan Bear. Yeah, and that brings up the best in Darnell Nurse. He can't be if you if he if he's the primary guy that you're counting on to move the puck and lug the puck. It's not going to work at the NHL level because he's just not that player. He's a good, he's a solid defensive player, great skater, great two-way player, but he's not a he's not an elite thinker with the puck, passer of the puck. He's okay, so you need to have someone who is elite with him. If and he, since they put Bear with him, it's been spectacular. He that can pair, he, he can lug the puck. He can lug it, but he can't. But the outlet pass is not his real strength, and it is Bear's strength. And I've noticed Darnell getting the puck over to, to Bear, which is, I mean, that's what he should be doing. If he's got a partner that can move the puck better than him, he should be getting the puck over to that guy. And that's what he's been doing. And what happens oftentimes is you see Bear start the, start the play with the outlet pass, and then you see Darnell joining in the attack up the ice, either in the neutral zone or even in the attacking zone. And he's good at that. And there, he's, you know, he's something of a, he's something of a rover, you know, like... You really never know when he's going to impose himself on the game, but he's very much a proactive player and a proactive offensive player, and he's been getting results. I mean, he's got seven points. And wow! Uh, anyway, I didn't you know, know it's yeah. yeah. Well, the, the Bruce, their their scoring chance numbers, which we track, mm-hmm. are are outstanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, there hasn't been um, two defensemen who have had numbers this good playing top pairing tough minutes since Chris Russell and Andre Sakura in 2016-17. So it's it's not that hard to get fairly good scoring chance numbers if you're in the third pairing because mm-hmm. you don't face the tough competition. But these guys are playing really hard minutes all the time, and their numbers are as good as Sekera's and Russell's. Like Andre Sekera had the best numbers for a top-pairing D-man under this the way we look the way I look at hockey analytically that we've seen um, in the, uh, you know, the Shirelli slash Holland era. Right. But Ethan Bear... And Darnell Nurse are matching that, so that's that's really they're, strong. They're doing it on on the cheap. You talked about Bear's contract. Well, Nurse is three point two million. There's a lot more than Ethan Bear is making, but it's a lot less than a lot of elite defensemen are making around the league. Like to me, Darnell's on a value contract this year. Next year he won't be. This year he is. So you have that pair, the two of them, making combined under four million. You know the funny thing, Bruce, is I like to see uh, Clefbaum 
I don't I don't mind Clef on the power play because I think he he does he he knows his strengths and weaknesses now. He's not taking a ton of shots. He's not trying to because he gets you know that's not he he can shoot it, but he's really just trying to set up McDavid or RNH on either wall. And uh, but the the other thing is he he's going to get those cheap assists. It's not going to go to to uh, Bear or Nurse, and I'm sure they're doing it because they think Clefbaum's the best option at this point. That's that's they're not thinking about the contracts. They're not thinking about the money. But but I am, and um, it, if Bear, let's say Bear got ten second assists or Nurse got ten to fifteen second assists on the power play this year, that's that the way the Close. NHL works. The way the NHL works. Not doesn't make any sense. There's no rhyme, like on a certain level, no rhyme or reason to it. But that would give you, that would give them either one of those guys would be getting an extra million or two million dollars, I think, with those extra. Let's say they got extra 15 assists on the power play this year. That's that's worth a lot of money, and um, so they they might not be too happy not to be on the power play. But I don't think Nurse is a power play first unit power play player. I think actually Bear might be. Uh, I think Bear. Is and I think the power play actually might function slightly better in the second half of the year if if they move Barron to that role. But um, for now, Clefbaum's doing a very very good job. He's he's distributing the puck well and uh, he's solid back there. So yeah, well, and he's uh, he's on a valid contract too, of course. I mean, well, that's it. Just over four million dollars for Oscar, you know. Long term. So, yeah, and he's locked up for another four years. So, uh, you know, you might as well give him the cheap assist so that you don't, you're not pricing yourself out with these other guys next year. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think it's necessarily what the, a plot by the organization, but uh, uh, it, it works to their advantage if that's the way things roll. Because you know for sure the first power play unit is going to score 10 goals for every one the second unit scores, if not 20. Well, it's just like having a James Nielbers on the top yeah. play. He's like he like Clefbaum. He signed up for the next four years, mm-hmm. and signed, sealed, and delivered. Might as well have those two guys getting the because if you put like what happened with Chase on last year, right? He got he he got an extra million dollars a year because of the power play work that he did, and um, so just as well to have someone who signed up long term on your power in the future. All NHL power plays will be on. <laughs> no one in their contract year will be put on the power play. In the NHL anymore, unless you're a superstar, they'll just give it to somebody else to save money. But uh, and it, it is working out that way for the Oilers, and there's there's certainly value in that. Yeah, well, there's value in some of those uh, some of those D contracts for sure, and they need it because they you know they're they're paying big bucks up front. So uh, you got to find value somewhere on the team, and in the cap era. Uh, players that outperform their cap hit are absolutely essential for a successful team. You gotta have them. You gotta have them. And right now, the Oilers have a number of them: Mike Smith, Ethan Bear, um, James Neal. <laughs> Take that, Calgary. Oh. <laughs> Boom. All right, Bruce. Let's leave it there. You got game grades to do, eh? Are you? Yeah. Done? I'm getting near. I'm getting near the end. Okay. Working my way through it. All right, Bruce. Thank you for talking tonight. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.